hour number two of the show on your Monday. Good to be with you today. Matt and Patrick here, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Once again, a little bit later on, I'm going to break down some of the testimony from the Lazaro trial today. Holy God. Yeah, it, it, this is a hard show, man, because you got to deal with the shooting in the last hour, but then the Lazaro trial stuff. Uh, I want to give you a heads up. This is some unpleasant testimony that happened today. We'll get to that here a little bit later on. Right now, though, a hearing is taking place in regards to PolyMet's uh, permits here. This hearing is uh, going to be taking place on November 1st, 2018. The, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources issued PolyMet a permit to mine, but April 2021, the Minnesota Supreme Court reversed the permit, told DNR it lacked evidence necessary to issue the permit, particularly in relation to its pollution containment proposal. Uh, so now they're heading to a, a, an administrative law judge and a hearing on this. Aaron Clems is kind enough to join us. Uh, he is the chief strategy officer for Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy, and he's kind enough to take some time today to talk about the hearing. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Doing great, man. How are you? All right. I haven't chatted with well, you. Well, I, I heard I heard you say earlier it wasn't such a great show so far in terms of like heavy stuff. <laughs> oh, I got that. Well, it's it's it is yeah. It's just it's it kind of coming down. I am looking forward to this though because this is heavy as well. But we should make sure we understand this is not like some states where this stuff would there wouldn't be any you know stopping this kind of thing going through that the supreme court did come down and say okay you guys you're making this stuff <laughs> and okay if i can paraphrase how i looked at the supreme court ruling you guys are making up this stuff about you know pollution containment and and so coming back it really is a case where at least the supreme court came back and is is saying no we can't allow you to do this if if you don't have a a legit plan in place to mitigate the pollution yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think that it's really worth noting that the Supreme Court basically said, we looked through the record, we looked through the entire record of tens of thousands of pages, and we could find not one shred of evidence to support this part of your plan, which is critical for your ability to reduce water pollution flowing through this for hundreds of years after you close. So I want to take a, a quick t- a step back, though, sure. just to tell people what this this particular hearing is about. This is the first time we've ever had a hearing in front of a neutral decision maker, a judge, where we've gotten to present evidence under oath about the facts of this proposal. And I just want to stress that again, that you often hear people say, oh, it's been 16 years of permitting and and environmental review. What's taking so long? This is the first time citizen groups and environmental groups have had the opportunity to present evidence in front of a judge about the facts of this proposal. We've had a whole bunch of other cases that you're familiar with, a lot of appeals, but those are all on the law and whether or not they met the law in in their decision. But so for the very first time, we actually have world-class experts about elements of this proposal coming through to testify in front of an administrative law judge who will then forward a recommendation to the Department of Natural Resources. And then potentially we'll be back in front of the same Supreme Court that sent us here in the first place. The basically the two sides of this argument boil down to this. And you can I mean, I know this might be simplistic, but you tell me how far off base I am here. On one side, you have the people saying, wait a second, this type of mine has never been done environmentally safe. And the other side is, yeah, sure. But maybe if we did this, it might not be that bad, even though we have no evidence us doing this will keep us safe. Is that basically the same kind of where we're at right now? Yeah, I mean, in fact, the testimony that's been submitted for this hearing, and this has been going on for a few months, people have been submitting written testimony, really tracks those two comparison points you just pointed out. 
The DNR's witnesses, for example, one a woman named Jennifer Engstrom pointed out that if you make us stick to what's already been proven to work, then we won't be able to innovate, and we want to be innovative. Minnesota wants to be ahead of everybody, not behind everybody. And I want to take a step back and just notice how crazy that all is. <laughs> yes, I mean, we're talking about we're not talking about like you know being innovative and how to you know you know make a better you know widget. We're talking about like something that will affect our water for hundreds of years if we get it wrong. Uh, and without any evidence in the record whatsoever, they've started to even collapse back further to, well, let's just go find out whether this works or not. And we just don't believe we can afford that. So I, I, I think that it is, I think your two points there are pretty much tracking exactly what's happening in this hearing. And, you know, it's illustrative of kind of the risks that I think some of uh, the folks who are proposing this are willing to take with our water, which I don't think we should be willing to take. And we should remind everyone, this is PolyMet, but the reality is these are international mining conglomerates. They do not care about northern Minnesota. They just want our resources. That's just that. And when they make this argument about let's be, you know, let's not be hamstrung with proven techniques that work on keeping things clean, what that's, that's them saying is we don't want to spend the money to do this environmentally safe, so give us the, the leeway there and oh by the way we're going to screw it up and then we'll leave the taxpayers to have to clean it up afterwards that's generally the the way this the modus operandi here i remember we saw that with when dayton i think it was right at the end of his term went around and toured these other mining facilities and said you can't this is not going to work this there's you still have pollution on the ground from hundreds of years ago yeah i mean and and and, and, and then he issued these permits you know in november of 2018 it's also worth noting that we've been through an entire term of another governor since those permits were issued. And they've been held up in court. They've been uh, reversed and remanded back to the agencies. Um, we're already now almost four and a half years after these permits were issued. And it's not because there's just been delays. It's been, there have been that many problems with these permits. Um, and the idea that we're now just finally having a fact-based hearing now uh, is kind of mind-blowing to me. But it's true. Uh, let's go through some of the points, uh, some of the things the Supreme Court pointed out that needed to be to at the least bit elaborated more on starting off with there was no evidence showing that polymets proposal to use uh, bentonite clay to cover polymets reactive tailings would actually work explain exactly what polymet was proposing and why you know and why i mean i'm presuming this has never been done before well so here's so polymets proposing to build a giant tailings base. And tailings are what's left over after you crush the rock and you get the metal out of it. Yes. But it contains a lot of, a lot of residual stuff that can cause pollution. And these are what they're called reactive mine tailings. And the goal is to prevent air and water from interacting with these tailings forever. Because they have to sit there forever at a giant pile, 250 feet tall, 900 acres in size. This is a massive, massive amount of tailings. So what they want to do is put a water cover on top of it. They want to put a pond on top of it. But here's the problem. That water won't just stay there. It will filter then through all the 250 feet of tailings and come out the bottom as polluted water, and it will also make that dam much less stable, potentially causing it to collapse. And it has to sit there for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So what they proposed was what one of their experts, one of their experts called a Hail Mary kind of concept, where they would spread this bentonite clay. Bentonite is very well known. It's a clay layer that, that absorbs water and becomes more water resistant. And the goal was to basically create a kind of impermeable layer between the water, which would stay on top forever, and then the tailings down below. Uh, the problem is that this has never been done before because no one ever applies this stuff to a pond bottom after you're done with stuff. So they've actually proposed creating, and I'm not even kidding about this, a boat that would poop out bentonite pellets, mm -hmm. and then they would fall to the bottom and coat, and coat the bottom. 
And if you want to really see something hilarious and still true and very educational, all three things, go to Duluth for Clean Water's website or to their Twitter page or their Facebook page. They have a wonderful three-minute video that shows their test of a pooping boat about whether it would work or not and what the, what's at stake. And I think it's one of the better illustrations of it. At today's hearing, the very first figure that Polymet's attorney showed showed a, a figure of, I'm not even kidding, a pooping boat. Uh, and so that's where we are today, is we're relying on a boat that would poop out bentonite clay and cover the bottom of this thing and keep, a, keep water from filtering through this stack of tailings for hundreds of years whereas all the experts said that that's never been done before and it would not work. Now, I want to remind something. What you just said is, and this is one thing we have to wrap our head around, probably one of the oldest standing buildings still here in Minnesota from when European settlers got here is Fort Snelling. In the near over 200 years since that was built, that has been ripped apart, torn down, fallen apart over the years. It is not like it was before. So that when, when you talk about oh, we'll maintain this for hundreds of years. They're saying this in a state where nothing like this has been attempted with any level of success for more than, say, 30 years? And so is is Polymet saying that they're going to keep this lake safe, that they're volunteering that 500 years down the line, that they're still going to be putting money out there to keep this lake safe? Well, they figured out that they can't say hundreds of years and they can't say forever anymore. So now they say that they'll do it indefinitely or as long as it takes. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, just remember that like 500 years ago, which is what their own modeling shows, pollution will continue for 500 years. We were, you know, that was Martin Luther banging the 95 theses on the door 500 years ago. That's how far back we're talking about. I mean, Minnesota has barely existed as a state, you know, for much more than 200 years. And so, you know, we have a lot, it's, 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 it's kind of a stretch to believe that a corporation, after they've made their money, is going to stick around and, and be there to clean it up hundreds of years after they've closed. And there's just no way that any, any thinking human being can think that that's going to actually be true. And by the way, Minnesota has been a state for 165. So, yeah, this is, it, it would be basically the three times the time that the state's been in existence. Uh, the, the, the DNR basically, uh, apparently, they don't want – is it the dam design? They don't want people reviewing the dam design that they've put forward? Well, so here's the thing. Um, when the, so the Court of Appeals heard the case before the Supreme Court did. And when the Court of Appeals heard our appeal of the permit to mine, they ordered a contested case hearing on a wide array of issues including financial assurance, in other words, the damage deposit that would protect taxpayers, including dam safety, including bentonite and other issues as well. Um, The Supreme Court severely limited the scope of that case hearing, at least in one sense. They told the DNR, look, you're required to have a hearing on bentonite clay because there's literally zero evidence in the record that shows that your conclusions were supported. Mm-hmm. But you have the ability to expand this contested case hearing to c- cover all of these issues. And then they went on to further to note, hey, look, this stuff's going to come back to us again. We haven't ruled on the legal sufficiency of this permit. And so it might be a good idea for you to have a hearing about this so that when it comes back to us, you've got more evidence. But the DNR has just refused. The DNR has said, nope, we're going to do the, very, the narrowest possible hearing on this one very specific issue that the Supreme Court has ordered us to do. We're going to ignore the, the Supreme Court's invitation to have a broader hearing under oath where all sides could bring their expert testimony and expert witnesses and cross-examine each other. I mean, look, this is the first time we're ever going to build a copper nickel mine in Minnesota if this gets done. It seems unreasonable to me that we've had contested case hearings about incredibly minor issues. But we're not going to have one about the first copper nickel mine 
and do it in a broad sense and let everyone bring their witnesses. I mean, that's how you figure out what the truth is. You bring experts and witnesses and you cross-examine them and you put them under oath. And instead, the DNR has decided to do it on their own and not listen to, uh, to other sources of information, but instead assert that they know what they're talking about and that everyone else just needs to accept their, their conclusions. And we think that's just wrong. The, and, and that's the case. And, and so basically, we have a judge that's going to look down, and from, from what you're putting forward, you've got on one side plenty of evidence this doesn't work. On the other side, it's, it's a theory. Now – I remember when Kyle Rittenhouse went into a courtroom. I said, we got video of the guy murdering people, and somehow that didn't go right. Uh, you know, because you had a judge that was basically, in that case, was in the pocket of, of, of one political side. Is, you know, it's, from what you're saying, it sounds like the overwhelming amount of evidence being put forward is that, no, this is not safe, and that, once again, there is not a lot saying this is safe. What is the chances, you think, with this administrative judge that he's going to come back and say, you know, yeah, Polly, they got a point? Well, you know, first of all, it's, it's important to know what an administrative law judge is and what his job is. In this case, it's, it's a he. It's uh, James Lefebvre is his name, and he's, you know, he's running a hearing on behalf of the agency. That's what his job is. So the DNR has technically hired the Office of Administrative Hearings to do this hearing and then make a recommendation back to them about what the evidence is. And they are not in, under any obligation to even accept his recommendation. They could instead just press forward and say, yeah, we heard you, but we're not going to do any of that. And so this hearing is important because it will establish facts about whether or not this Bentonite scheme has evidence that, that it might work. Um, but ultimately, the decision goes back to the Department of Natural Resources, and it's up to them. They have to decide what they're going to do with this permit, whether they're going to make changes, whether they're going to modify it in a, in a couple of ways that you mentioned earlier, um, and, then, and then whether or not they're going to let the public comment on it or whether they're just going to continue to push forward. So ultimately, this is an important hearing. The administrative law judge is doing his job to make a recommendation, and I, I don't know what the result will be of this hearing, but I do know that the DNR then is the one that has to make a decision about what to do with that recommendation uh, after they receive it. It seems so counterproductive that the DNR would be a champion of this sort of thing or be really kind of pushing for this to happen because, once again, it's not like we don't have evidence. This is an incredibly dangerous style of mining. We have pits, open water pits of contamination that have basically have only been there for 300 years and they're still not going to be safe for another 200 years. Any idea why the DNR has all of a sudden – just kind of a, it seems to abandon its job of protecting the natural resources for the people of the state? I mean, look, I don't think I will surprise anybody by pointing out that this is political. I mean, the, these permits were issued on November 1st, 2018. So think about what was happening right, be, right after November 1st, 2018. Um, you know, this was an attempt to basically clear the decks and to take a politically unpopular decision in some areas and politically popular in others and get it done. Um, you know, and... I think that that's part of the issue here is that the Department of Natural Resources is a creature of who runs the state, right? And in this case, Mark Dayton declared that he thought this, this, this uh, mine needed to be permitted, and they got it done. Um, and so that said, I think a lot of the political dynamics that were present in 2018 are not the same anymore, and it's worth noting. I mean, you know, at the time, we had Tom Bach and Dave Tomasoni and even, I think, Tom Rukavina still kicking around, arguing for the absolute dire need to get the range to vote blue by, by, by permitting polymet. 
Well, you know, here we are four and a half years later, and I think no one can deny that there's been a generational turnover in the leadership on the range, but also I think a better recognition of what the risks are mm-hmm. for this kind of proposal, and for that matter, the limited benefits that it provides. And so we're hopeful that, you know, I mean, I think you know, Governor Walls was not the person who issued the permits that, that started this whole process out, but his, his agencies now will make the decision about what to do in response to this administrative law judge hearing and ultimately recommendation. And we really hope that they'll listen. They think we'll hope they'll listen to the people of Minnesota. We hope that they'll listen to the science. And if we think if they do, they'll make a different decision than we made four and a half, five years ago. Well, and I think also we should not discount the nightmare that was line three and how, oh, we're going to do it safe. We're going to do it safe. And how many holes did they puncture in the bottom of the Mississippi River? You know, it just it was you know, you have shown that there, these companies will say anything to get the project approved. And then even when they have strict rules on what they can do, they still don't follow those rules and they still create an environmental mess. Yeah, no, I think line three is a good, a good example to, to point to. I think, you know, I, I, you may have seen, I was, I was in the Star Tribune editorial page talking about the, all the boohooing about, you know, we can't approve any projects in northern Minnesota. And I'm like, Polymet and line three got approved mm-hmm. by state agencies. Okay, I mean, and of course, Polymed is still hung up in legal appeals, but, you know, and as soon as they got through their legal appeals, they just, they punched line three through as soon as possible, and, and way too fast, and, and did a lot of damage mm-hmm. by how they did that, by trying to construct it as quickly as possible, as opposed to doing so in a rational way. You know, I'm not saying that there's ways to build pipelines that are, like, you know, super safe or great, but at the same time, we know that, we know for a fact from all of the folks who've been looking at the on-the-ground damage, that the way that they constructed this pipeline was extremely damaging, even more so than it needed to be. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of examples we can point to of where our agencies felt political pressure from the top and then made decisions that they probably regret. Um, I think this might be one of them, and I hope that they take this opportunity to revisit it and think about what the law says, what the science says, and what the people of Minnesota want. Can I last fun question for you? And I just—it's the no-brainer of all time because I think you'll agree with me on the answer where I'm going with this. If we basically said. Sure, we'll approve any mining project in Minnesota as long as the parent company, the international mining conglomerate, will promise us and guarantee in a contract that if there's any pollution, they'll clean it up. That 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 would solve the problem right there because if you had ironclad language in these contracts with the state saying that the international mining conglomerate that's pulling the puppet strings in these things is really the company that's on the line – I don't think they'd even build it because it'd be so cost ineffective because they already know that part of the, it seems that part of their business model is to pollute the crap out of places that they go. I mean, that is their business model. Uh, it's undeniable. I mean, if, 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 if the mining industry had to pay for the full cost of all of the pollution that they generate, they wouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, we are subsidizing them by accepting the pollution that they put into our water supply. Um, and I think the challenge, of course, is that there is no such thing as an ironclad guarantee that anyone would pay, pay for pollution. I mean, one of the things that corporations are really good at is avoiding ironclad guarantees of all of these kinds of sorts. Um, you know, Glencore, the parent company of Polymed, um, didn't even exist that long ago. And it, before, about 10 years ago, it was a privately held company. Um, you know, so, and, and, and by the way, Polymet is actually four different companies, all with very similar names, all different subsidiaries of each other. And that's done for a reason, is to try to avoid financial responsibility falling on that parent company. So I think, in general, I agree with what you're saying there, uh, Matt. It's just more that we haven't found a, a mechanism to actually hold these international conglomerates 
accountable for the pollution that they could create. And, and to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure we're any closer today than we were 10 years ago. Well, if we did, I, well, and they wouldn't even – if they knew that they had to clean it up, they wouldn't even apply for the permit. And that should just tell you everything right there. Right there. That's the entire thing. Aaron Clems, uh, I want to make sure. How do we get people? Obviously, you're covering this. You got a lot of great information on this. The Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy is a great starting point. How can people get in touch and find out more information about what is going on? Well, so our website is mncenter.org, and there's a great piece that explains this entire contested case hearing on our news and events page. One other thing that folks want to get active on this, I just want to point out that on April 4th, the, the Prove It First bill rally, which our friends at Friends of the Boundary Waters are sponsoring at the Capitol, is happening at 2 p.m. So if you want to come out and push our legislature to require someone to prove that you can do this safely before you give them a permit, you can do that. So show up on April 4th. They'll be there all day in the vault from 10 a.m., uh, the Lichwal de Nord vault from 10 a.m. on. But there'll be a rally in the rotunda at 2 p.m., so we'll hope to see a lot of folks there. But I hope that you'll join us there. We'll be joining our friends at Friends of the Boundary Waters for that. Aaron Clems, the Chief Strategy Officer for Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy. Aaron, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate you covering this. Come on back. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get some uh, more uh, news on this and give us an update, okay? Will do. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. You, you bet. Aaron Clems got enough to join us right now. Nice to have him back on the air. We haven't talked to him in a while. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.